the house. Let me hear your bark. Let me see you bite. Let me see your scar. You know what we about. Come see us in the yard. Hello and welcome to All We Hear is Purple, the third or fourth most mediocre Husky football podcast on the entire internet. Today is our signing day special. We did one after the first early signing day. We're doing another one after the second signing day, and you're going to get to hear new opinions because tonight, instead of Gaby Lucas, I am joined by Coach B. Coach, welcome back. Glad to be back on the pod. Yeah, last time you were here, we talked through some of the uh, I mean, schematically disgusting things about the UW <laughs> offense earlier in the year and some of the kind of low-hanging fruit. Uh, that manifested itself in a coaching change. We have a new staff, and that new staff had their first chance to sign some recruits, culminating in Wednesday's second signing day of the year, the late signing day. It's not the end of the recruiting cycle exactly, but for all intents and purposes, we're kind of at the the finish line for the vast majority of recruits for the 2023 season. So let's talk a little bit about some of the high school commits who jumped in and we'll get into transfers later in the show. But starting out, I think probably the headliner of the four new high school signees in this part of the cycle was Tristan Dunn from Sumner. Uh, He's a consensus four-star safety recruit, a big safety, six foot three, six foot four, close to 200 pounds. He was originally committed to Arizona State, but like all the cool kids, he left Arizona State. Um, Like people thought this was a bad recruiting class for UW. You could have been Arizona State. What are your initial impressions of Tristan Dunn? Yeah, so I, I I hadn't seen a whole bunch. I hadn't really been following him for most of this recruiting cycle just because we didn't have an offer out to him. I had heard his name come up quite a bit from people I talked to, and I I knew that he had some pretty impressive measurables. But uh, this past week, once you know the chatter started to pick up that we had some movement on that front, that we were uh, pretty good candidates to to get his commitment, I took a look at it and. This guy is a football player through and through. Um, it's not just one of those guys that are great athletes that play football, but he really uh, jumped out to me as a guy that can really fly around the football field. He knows where he's going, which really just makes his athleticism stand out that much more. He flies around. He knows where he's going. He is physical. He, he's a great tackler in space, which I think is going to be a really welcome addition to our, our defensive backfield. Uh, something that we had struggled a little bit this past year was tackling in space. Um, the first play that kind of pops out in my mind is that back-breaking long touchdown run against Michigan um, mm-hmm. that kind of really just put the game a little out of reach. Not that we were particularly competitive in that game, but you know, adding another big physical defensive back uh, to the rotation, you know, I, I think Tristan Dunn will kind of continue a little bit of our legacy of having great tacklers, great physical defensive backs, you know, Buda Baker, Taylor Rapp, Jojo McIntosh, guys like that. Yeah, I think that was one of the things I noticed about Dunn as well. Initially, it seemed like the the we, we had such great tackling in the secondary uh, over the early part of Chris Peterson's tenure. And then it seemed to just disappear all at once. And the last couple of years, it's been a pretty significant problem. The secondary tackling 
And that mm-hmm. is something that Dunn does really well. So it, it may even get him on the field earlier if he's really is grasping the, the concepts well, because he seems tailor-made for that Husky position in the secondary, the kind of hybrid linebacker safety in the box type of position that the Inge's defense has run in the past. And he has enough size that he could probably play a little closer to the line of scrimmage and still do damage there. The the Hopefully the days of the 15-play 13 run touchdown drives are going to kind of be a thing of the past, but this is the type of player it would seem that would kind of help help with that without totally jeopardizing your past defense. Any initial impressions on his uh, ability to cover and cover uh, tight ends or even some wide receivers in, in pass coverage? You know, when I looked up his high school film, I didn't see a whole lot of plays. Uh, I didn't see the volume of plays that we might otherwise see um, for someone that played a little bit more traditionally only at cornerback or safety or something like that. He was an athlete that they kind of just tried to play everywhere. He played some linebacker, played some deep safety, usually closer to the line of scrimmage. He didn't really get out to the perimeter too much in coverage. So it's a little bit tough for me to really project a whole lot from his current skill set, or at least what he's shown. I do anticipate him sticking more towards the line of scrimmage um, from what I understand and what I've seen of the Husky position at Fresno when Inge was down there um, is that it will be somebody that's uh, kind of just a playmaker, fairly similar to what we've seen with guys like Taylor Rapp and Buda Baker and Miles Bryant while they were playing the nickel, but the, the body type is a little bit closer towards what we're seeing in Dunn or maybe a guy like Dom Hampton, a little bit bigger, more physical, maybe a little bit more, action blitzing and things like that so you know as, as far as you know a few question marks on Dunn's ability to cover deep or cover in solo coverage um that might be mitigated if he does end up playing um more of a strong safety or a, a husky position for us sure that makes sense i don't spend a lot of time in sumner but my wife has a friend there and they have she, every time she visits she brings back this great coffee I, I don't remember the name of the roaster it's like delano's i think is the name of it very very good coffee roaster um so while we're on the subject of sumner it doesn't come up that often so i might as well make make that point here that might um, be a great candidate for our plugs at the end of this uh, yeah, right, podcast. Yeah. just various uh coffee roasters from the south sound area uh let's keep going talk a little bit about the parker brothers uh the board game mavens from uh michigan Twins, Javon and Armand Parker, they were under the radar recruits. A little bit of reporting on them indicated that they transferred high schools before their senior year because they'd been playing at a school without a lot of exposure. They're huge. It's kind of hard to miss them. You don't see guys who are, you know, 6'3", 6'4", and 280 or 290 flying under the radar very often. It seemed like there was a little bit of interest from Illinois, but they didn't get any offers there. Are these potential diamond in the rough types, or is this just kind of like we're filling out our roster with a little bit more depth and guys who are big and athletic? Well, from what I've seen on their huddle tape for their senior year is that these guys are definitely like physically impressive, you know, guys that you want to get off the bus first type of guys. Hmm. And you can see that from the pictures uh, from the photo shoots that they did while they were on campus recently. I was more impressed by Armin Parker's um, tape. He's a little bit more explosive. Both of them, as you said, are very like massive human beings. Um, I think that these two commits are probably, I'll err on the side of expecting them to be solid depth guys, rotation guys, guys that will 
plug into the center of the defensive line and kind of anchor more from the run side. But I do see upside in these guys, particularly Armin. He he shows a little bit more first step explosiveness, slightly better, uh, more consistent technique, I'd say. Both are really powerful, like, you know, not knocking Javon at all because he, you know, when he has consistently solid pad level, he was plowing through guys and was wrecking the middle of offensive lines. But, um, you know, I'm not quite seeing as much pass, pass rush upside from these guys. So maybe not quite in the mold of, say, a void to Nufi, but maybe, maybe a more multi-purpose, versatile, not just nose tackle, but like, you know, can, you know, do a few things, but maybe not stand out in any one particular area. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, you probably want somebody to be a little bigger than 280 if they're going to not have that pass rush ability just so they can draw double teams and anchor the middle a little bit better. But just looking at these guys, it looked like they have the ability to put on some more weight. You know, there's not a lot of they're very lean for their guys who are 280 pounds. So maybe that's the route that we go and try to bulk them up to 300, 315 pounds or something like that. And And, they can be more of an anchor type. For sure. They do show the power that you'd expect from somebody that's about 280 pounds and lean, right? So, you know, if they're punching a little bit above their weight right now, as far as being able to anchor against the run, then, you know, a couple of years maybe, or maybe just one year in an off season or something like that in the weight room and strength and conditioning. And yeah, you know, you throw them in there on goal line packages, you rotate them through it more of a nose tackle kind of spot and off to the races. Yeah, I, I was also thinking about this, and this probably applies to Javion Green, who we're going to talk about next as well, that uh, we've kind of learned over the last, I don't know, decade and a half uh, in college basketball since player, since well, basically since the one and done era started in basketball, that you can't really build a great team around all players who are only going to be with your team for one year. You need to kind of balance it out with, a few superstar players and then also have some role players who are going to stick around for a while. I don't know if that's going to bear out in college football in the same sense, but in an era where we're seeing way more player movement due to transfers and, you know, just all kinds of guys going in and out of the portal and and leaving different programs for different reasons. Maybe it makes sense to have somebody who, who is more of a developmental player who can provide depth for a few years and isn't going to feel like, they're getting slighted by not seeing the field a lot in the first 24 months on campus. I, you know, I don't think that that's a reason to proactively recruit players you don't think are as good, but it might be kind of a silver lining in the long run if we have more developmental players who we actually have a chance to develop over time. I don't know if that'll end up being true. Just a thought I had when I was thinking about roster composition and how things have changed in the last couple of years. That has kind of come up a little bit in just our writers group chat about kind of how we see all of these changes and movement kind of playing out down the line. I'm kind of with you uh, in thinking that, you know, maybe you need a, a good mix of developmental guys as well as, you know, filling depth concerns or experience gaps on your roster with transfers. And there's, there's going to be a mix, I think. And I think that overall it'll, the transfer portal will settle down a little bit once players realize that you can't be hopping around all the time and there is a risk to not having a spot in this game of musical chairs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that, you know, maybe guys like the Parker twins where you, you see some upside there, they're physically impressive. 
you know, maybe you get them in the weight room a little bit more and, you know, that you have a defined role for them, something like that, you know, a little bit less heralded or touted, but, you know, you, you see the potential there. Yeah, that those, especially on the line of scrimmage, maybe it's a really good idea to pick up a few more of those guys every year, maybe a few developmental linemen or, you know, players of that nature and see where that goes. Yeah, I, I, you know, if you actually are confident that they're going to stick around, there's value in that as well. I mentioned JV on Green uh, just a moment ago, and he kind of fits in that same category of less heralded recruit. He's coming to Seattle from the Houston area. He's a big defensive back. It seemed like he did come up to Seattle for an official visit right before signing day. It seemed like this one, maybe more so than the Parkers, there maybe is some untapped potential with him. I don't know how somebody from the Houston area would go overlooked. It seems like there's more attention paid to that part of Texas in recruiting than just about anywhere else in the country. But just from what you've seen of, of Green, how do you think he would fit into our defense? And do you think there's some upside with him to develop into eventually a starting caliber player? I think that he, he has some, some physical gifts that we needed to pick up in this cycle. He's not the biggest defensive back or a cornerback. I'm kind of viewing him more as a cornerback than a safety. Um, he's, he's got some length. He's got some size. He looks physically a little bit more better prepared to play. The technique is right kind of what you expect, but would also be hoping for, you know, and nothing, no glaring issues and things like that um, in a cycle where we, we're kind of lacking a defensive back or a cornerback commit early um, kind of in this transition class, you know, uh, I think we could do a lot worse than picking up green kind of to your point, you know, there are some maybe question marks about, you know, Houston, you know, everybody scouring Houston and Texas in general for talent, you know, so how, how is this guy flying this far under the radar? If he's really that good, I don't know, but I see, I see the upside there. Um, as I'm not as familiar with exactly the specific techniques that we, that uh, Juice Brown and Inge are going to be asking their corners to play in, but I could see him filling a role, specific techniques with a little bit more physicality and maybe not isolated or on island all the time and really flourishing in that role. Sure. I, those were the four guys who did sign on Wednesday. There were a couple other notables uh, one is Graham Kapausen, offensive lineman, Vega Iowani, who was originally committed to UW. He backed out uh, before the early signing day with the coaching change, and it seemed like it was promising that he may get back in the boat at some point, but ended up committing to Penn State. Uh, we were also kind of waiting on cornerback, uh, Juco cornerback, Roman Rashada. I didn't hear any news on him, and it, didn't, it sounded like that ship may have sailed uh, by the end of Wednesday. Any thoughts on either Rashada or Iowani and where that leaves uh, the, the holes that they leave by not committing? Yeah, losing Iwani's, you know, commitment. I, I was pretty confident up until the last two weeks, kind of in the hope that he'd jump back in the boat. Uh, but once he kind of stuck to going through with his official visit to Penn State, you know, that's kind of tough not getting that last official visit, especially that close to signing there. So 
Um, not super surprised that he left, but it is disappointing. Um, I typically would like to see two offensive line recruits a year or commits rather. And, you know, I'm still glad that we got Parker Brailsford in the first uh, signing period. So, you know, it's not like the we're going with none and we have a loaded roster for right now with a lot of youth. Uh, I think we have seven offensive linemen that are redshirt freshmen or freshmen right now. So um, there's a lot of youth there. Uh, I somewhat expect some attrition just because of, you know, with a log jam like that. Um, not everybody's going to be able to see playing time very early or very soon. So, you know, it would have been nice to get a second guy. Iwane was a good talent. He was a local guy. And with all the local talent that we had in this, you know, 22 class, striking out in all of them is a bad look that uh, Aaron and I have talked about several times in our writer's chat. Um, it's bad kind of outward perception, but um you know, I, I don't think we're in a perilous position, you know, for next year, depth-wise. Um, as far as Rashada, you know, I think everybody was hoping that we'd be able to get him in the boat, you know, this signing period. Um, and there's still a chance that we could get him, because I think it was down to us in BYU uh, for his top two. And, you know, obviously the immediate impact would be, you know, Roman Rashada joining the Huskies, should in theory give us a leg up on getting Jaden Rashada, the younger brother, who's a top quarterback in next year's class. But just looking in a vacuum, just looking at Roman, uh, he, he's a good player. I think he could probably play safety for us or Husky uh, in that kind of slot nickel hybrid safety linebacker nickel corner spot. But if we don't get him, you know, it's not necessarily going to be a huge hit to us as long as we don't get much more attrition at safety or, or corner. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And it's hard to talk about Rashada without thinking about his brother, his more famous younger brother uh, in this case, although it does seem like he would be a useful player to have on the team as well. How about just taking a step back? You, you alluded to the fact that coming in late, DeBoer and his staff weren't able to finalize anything with any of the in-state offensive line recruits it was always going to be an uphill battle starting from scratch trying to build relationships with coaches and trainers and family and players that you've never met before so I, I don't think that it's the end of the world but is there anything that you did identify or see over the last few weeks as the new coaches have started to recruit for UW that jumped out at you either positively or negatively yeah, I, I think, I mean, you kind of touched on a lot of it is that it, it was always going to be a tough class, you know, transition classes are always tough. I think he did what he, uh, you know, DeBoer and Courtney Morgan and the staff as a whole kind of did what they needed to do. They got guys in, in spots, on, uh, they signed guys that they needed to in certain spots that were maybe lacking some depth, right? Getting the Parker twins at D-line. You know, we definitely needed two bodies there, right? In addition to, you know, their talents or whatever, just just for depth purposes, we absolutely needed those two guys so that they were able to scour the country, find two guys that I think have solid upside um, and fill a need was fantastic, right? You know, if, if we had been able to keep Iwane, you know, that would have been double check mark for me right there. You know, you got somebody who's really talented, you start developing the local connections 
and you feel a, a position of need or maybe want a little bit more, but you know, so be it. I, I so as far as doing what they need to do for this class, I think they get like a B or B plus for me at least. You know, it's about as good as I could expect. They did. They didn't have somebody like Buda Baker, kind of like Peterson had, you know, the big splash recruit just yet. I mean, who knows? Maybe we get Connerly. Probably not, though. But um, that'd be even splashier. Yeah, that would that would be an absolute home run. But obviously, I'm not going to hold my breath for that just because it does seem like we're on the outside looking in there. But, you know, outside of getting that splash recruit, I, I think that the staff is doing fantastic so far. Um, the 2023 class is kind of, it seems like they're putting all their eggs into that basket. They're really going hard at recruits. I really liked the fact that, you know, they're, they're being proactive. They had the big junior day this past weekend. Uh, DeBoer said that they had a hundred, about 150 kids out there. Um, they timed it well. They had a, there was a seven on seven tournament in, I want to say Tacoma over the weekend. So a lot of, talented guys from the west coast all over the west coast in town might as well get them on campus kind of get into their ear and uh it does seem like there's been an uptick in the number of offers going on as well as well as the footprint you know we're, we're sending out a lot of offers outside of our traditional footprint so i think i think the boar and courtney morgan are doing what jimmy lake said he would do right <laughs> getting aggressive going after talented guys getting going after the top guys who we might not have an immediate, you know, connection with, you know, there's always the guys that we, you know, the top recruits like Sam Hewitt, where, you know, he's a legacy guy, right. That we'll always go after, but it did seem previously that we shied away with some of the other, you know, more challenging recruiting battles. It doesn't seem like this staff is going to back down from anybody. So I'm, I think we're trending in the right direction. We're doing the right moves and it'll, come down to how well we execute and actually getting guys to put that into paper. Yeah, definitely. I, I think the, the activity level, the willingness to go all over the country, shake hands, have your face seen in different places are positive signs. We'll see if that results in outcomes, you know, positive outcomes over the next year or so, but I am happy to see them putting in the effort on the front end because it seems like a prerequisite to getting what you want in the end. And if we don't do that, it's not going to work. So at least we're doing the first step that it's going to take to get to where we need to go. Let's take a quick break. We're going to come back on the other side of this ad and talk about the group of transfers who are coming in from all over the country on both sides of the ball, all sides of the ball, including a punter. So stick around and we'll be right back. Thanks for sticking with us. As promised, we're going to dive into the transfer portal. The headliner in the transfers was probably Cam Bright, who's a starter at Pitt. He was one of, I believe he was a preseason all-conference player in the ACC. He plays inside linebacker, so in some sense, there's a one-for-one -one trade in playing time between Jackson Sermon on his way out and Bright on his way in. He's experienced, he's productive, he's a good blitzer, he's good in pass coverage. What do you think of uh, Bright coming into this inside linebacker rotation with Eddie Ulafosho and Carson Bruner probably getting significant playing time right away. Yeah, I was really excited about the Cam Bright uh, pickup. It kind of almost came out of nowhere. At yeah, least it was me. quick. Yeah. It sounded like, you know, oh, there's a guy that's on campus. Oh, it's this linebacker that's really good. Oh, and then he committed like in yeah. a matter of, yeah. you know, 72 hours or something like that. So I, it kind of caught me off guard. Super happy we got him. I had actually 
by chance had watched some film of him last year uh, as we were doing, as I was doing kind of my research into the, for, uh, heading into the Arkansas State game. The defensive coordinator for Arkansas State came from Pitt. And then, so I was looking at Pitt film and then I saw a little bit of Cam Brighton there. So that was kind of, kind of cool. Bright actually played all over the place for them. He played a lot of what uh, kind of amounts to our Husky uh, in our defense. He played linebacker, kind of that was what he was called, but he played out in space, kind of over the slot. He was all over the place. Like you said, he, you know, he came on blitzes. He's really good at blitzing uh, for an off the ball linebacker. And so I, I, he might be one of our more versatile linebacking kind of, uh, skill sets right now in the linebacker linebacker room. Um, I think that pairing him with Ulafosio, who is also a great pass rusher, maybe not as strong in coverage, but flies around and makes tackles as good in the run game as well. You know, pairing those two guys up might be kind of rekindling some of that magic that we had when we had you know Burke Hervin paired up with uh, who was it? It was Beria, I think, back. Uh, 2016 or something like that or yeah, 2016 yeah, 2017 right. something yep. like that so you know the the complementary skill sets there would be really nice um i think bruner being a little bit more in the ulofosio mold for the time being although i'm not knocking him in coverage necessarily but he's shown a little bit more in the run game and blitzing um you know i think those three will be a really potent combination if uh if we can get the defense to gel yeah, I think that makes sense. I, I, I agree with you. Just having somebody with that much experience, I don't think he's going to be necessarily like the superstar best player on the defense, but just having another guy with a lot of experience and and who has produced and played at a high level is going to be really useful, especially given how thin we were at linebacker. And you mentioned the versatility. Uh, another player who has played quite a bit, although at not quite the same level of competition, is the incoming running back, Aaron Dumas. I was a little bit surprised that we took a running back transfer because it looked like that was a pretty crowded position group already. Dumas played at New Mexico last year as a freshman. He had 658 yards on 136 carries, so good numbers. Oddly, he didn't catch a single pass all year despite playing in every game and being the lead running back for pretty much the second half of the year for a very bad New Mexico team. It seems like we're probably going to want our running backs to be a little bit more active in the passing game. So how do you see Dumas fitting into what we do this year? And I mean, obviously he has three more years to play, so he's got quite a a future ahead of him. Yeah. uh, DeBoer and Grubb's offenses like to distribute the ball and it's been proving. I've talked before about, you know, uh, John Donovan's offense and the potential of getting the ball out to the running backs. But, you know, in this case, I have confidence that DeBoer and Grubb will put the ball in the air and out to the running back. So, you know, maybe it was, I haven't done too much research on New Mexico's offense. Um, it didn't look like they emphasized that. So, you know, it's not like they tried to throw it to Dumas and he couldn't catch it. So maybe we'll be surprised in his, uh, in his uh, having surprisingly soft hands or something like that. But um, he does have a little bit more of that lightning to complement the thunder that we have in our running back room currently. You know, we got, you know, more physical guys like Richard Newton or uh, JV on Sunday, who that's kind of, they're more in the thunder and then maybe 
you know, having that complimentary back in Dumas and, you know, more well-rounded skill set like Cam Davis, you know, I think that's kind of what they're going for here and kind of balancing out the skill sets in the running back room. In addition, kind of like what you said, you know, we came into this off season looking at the running back position as probably that's where we have all of our depth and we're pretty set there, but we do kind of like the offensive line have a log jam at, in the younger classes. We have a bunch of guys that are freshmen or redshirt freshmen. I mean, Kayla Berry, JV on Sunday, uh, Ameka Megwa, Sam, Sam Adams, I think is also in that group. Yeah. Where yeah. Redshirt freshman. Yeah. There's only one ball, yeah. you know, you, you can run a running back by committee, which I, you know, we probably will see two primary ball carriers uh, with Grubb and DeBoer, but maybe we're expecting a little bit of attrition after the spring. And then so bringing in a guy like Dumas, you know, might help offset that a little bit. And while we were talking, I looked up some of the other New Mexico running backs and their, their other major running back who's he split time with Bobby Cole on the season had 29 receiving yards. So I think it's fair to say it's just not really an emphasized part of the offense. So hopefully that's something we can tap into that Dumas can do that he hasn't done so far. Uh, another name that I'm excited about, I, I think in, you mentioned our writers chat earlier, there was pretty resounding excitement that Junior Alexander, who is from the Seattle area, but committed to and played his freshman year at Arizona State, is coming back home after a year. I did mention all the cool kids are leaving Arizona State as fast as they can. <laughs> and at least we're profiting from that. So both Tristan Dunn and Junior Alexander headed to Montlake instead of spending next year in Tempe. Uh, what can Alexander offer this receiving room? It, it seems like, you know, something that looked like it could have been catastrophic in terms of our uh, attrition in the receiving group has not only been salvaged, but is actually looking like it's in a pretty good place right now. Yeah. I, I'm, I was super excited to hear that uh, junior Alexander was heading back up to the Pacific Northwest to come home and play with uh, two of his Kennedy Catholic teammates in uh, Sam Heward and Jay Biztanay. I viewed him when I was watching all the, the trio of their huddle uh, coming out of high school. I thought that Alexander had that outside skill set that could stretch the field. He, you know, he, he might not be on the same level as a Jalen McMillan as far as that extra gear maybe, but he definitely has that, that outside skill set. He's pretty good ball skills, has that really great length. You know, we could also select, uh, put him into the slot maybe a little bit and, uh, you know, maybe a, a, a threat up the seam, depending on how our tight ends kind of acclimate to this new offense, where uh, instead of kind of being more of an underneath target or on shot plays, you know, more consistent, just drop back passes and attacking the seams um, with big targets on the interior. So uh, I, I think that having another big body on, that can kind of, take some reps off of Jalen McMillan when he needs uh, a breather and then being a guy that can develop into that role down the line with Demarcus Shepard. I think that's a really good pickup for us right now. Yeah. It, it seems like of everybody we've talked about today, if there's one guy who has like high end potential to be potentially like an all conference type player, a guy who could put up some really impressive numbers, it's probably not going to be, you know, like a 20 yard per catch, impressive numbers but some you know down the road he might be somebody who puts up like eight or ten touchdowns in a season if everything breaks right for him so it would be pretty exciting I'm, I'm very happy that we did land him the last 
incoming transfer, at least of those that were announced on Wednesday, that the team confirmed was Kevin Ryan, an Idaho State punter. Uh, more depth at the punting position. Not clear whether he's on scholarship or he's walking on, but good thing to have another punter. We lost Race Porter last year, who went from being kind of bad to being exceptionally good in his career. Hopefully we won't have to go through that same uh, transition and we'll just have a good punter right away next year. Did you get a chance to watch anything from Kevin Ryan? It seems like he's a uh, perfectly adequate, maybe even a little bit better than that uh, division one college football punter. Believe it or not, Andrew, it's kind of tough to find tape on punters. <laughs> so I haven't actually been able to see a whole lot of Kevin Ryan, but from what I've been able to glean from some articles and kind of some stats is that, yeah, he's a pretty solid punter. Um, kind of my take on this is, you know, we need a punter. Maybe we can ship him off to Australia for a little bit, you know, yeah. during the off season. <laughs> I'm sure Gaby would be all for that plan. But um, yeah, I think that punting more than almost any other kind of position, punting skill set kind of transition better than almost any other, you know, between competitive levels. So I'm not super worried if, if he was a, slightly above average punter at the lower level at Idaho State he should be pretty good for us I know that there's pretty tough weather sometimes in Idaho State and from from what I've heard from some players before at Husky Stadium has some pretty unique just stadium characteristics for the wind swirling and coming off the lake where you know maybe he'll be able to acclimate you know it'll be somewhat of a similar transition and you know I'm hoping for the best but not a whole lot to new insight to provide here. The surprising part isn't that you couldn't find punter film. It's that you thought to look for punter film, but good for you. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, anything yeah. for the pod. <laughs> yeah, right. Should mention that he will probably come in the pecking order after Tristan Brown, who's coming back and is on scholarship. Uh, so he's probably has the inside track. But like we said, not a bad thing to have the extra uh the extra leg on the sideline. One other thing I wanted to cover while we're talking about transfers, it's been kind of a noisy off season for transfers in general uh, among the transfers that we've lost. Is there anybody who jumps out to you as most important or the, the biggest uh, damage of somebody that we lost? Uh, right off the bat, you know, I think that the two most notable and I might be forgetting some people, but I think the two most notable were Taki Taimani and Jackson Sermon. Um, and it might come down to a coin flip for me between the two, just because they were both starters. Um, and even though Jackson Sermon has been you know, taking the brunt of a lot of criticism for the last couple of years while he's been seeing significant playing time, you know, he was a pretty decent linebacker all things considered I think that he wasn't the only reason why our defense struggled against the run over the past couple of years and kind of the same could be said about Taki um, as well as the fact that both are coming you know outgoing transfers at positions with kind of questionable depth but uh, I think I guess I'd, I'd say Jackson Sermon yeah probably the most significant loss transfer wise just because you know at least there was a rotation on the defensive line there was a little bit more experience there we have some very promising guys whereas you know we might be 
a case of the flu away from having walk-ons, you know, play some significant time at linebacker, right? So yeah, and yeah, re- really underlines the importance of getting somebody like Bright in, uh, exactly, just to give us that extra depth. Yeah, a few others just probably worth mentioning. Terrell Bynum. We have such so many productive receivers. I'm not as worried about that. I don't really fault him for going back closer to home. He's a good player. He had a good career here. I yeah. uh, wish him well. Hope he doesn't play well against us, but hope he plays well the rest <laughs> of the time. Uh, Tamani, I feel like, was a little bit more theoretical than actual. He seemed mm-hmm. like he was going to be a really good interior defensive lineman, and he did it at times, but there were also like long stretches where he he just kind of like crumpled and didn't hold up well in the middle, uh, as at least wasn't getting penetration, wasn't getting any push. And the like you kind of mentioned that he was kind of at the center of the defensive line not producing. Um, Mark Redman, I, I kind of also fits into that unfulfilled potential bucket. I was really excited about him, but it, it didn't really click in the couple of years he spent here. And he's going down to a lower level of competition slightly, at least in the mountain West at San Diego state. So we'll see if that pans out for him. Um, uh, I, I guess one, I, I don't even know how to characterize it, but the lay to lay to moving to UCLA after our physicians deemed him medically unable to continue playing. Um, I, I don't really know how to evaluate something like that. I, I would like to think that our doctors were being cautious and smart about it. I hope that the UCLA doctors are also being cautious, but he was a very good player. And, and it, it is a bummer that we won't get to see him play here anymore uh, if he is truly healthy. So that would that'd probably be my vote, although it's under some very strange circumstances. Yeah, kind of the theme throughout all the guys, the other guys that I forgot about transferring, um, but that you mentioned was, um, I, I think that the cumulative losses for those guys is more in the untapped potential, right? Edmund, Taimani, yeah. uh, Latu, although Latu did play some and did look pretty good when he was playing briefly for us, mm-hmm. um, is that they were all uh, highly touted recruits, I know. Aaron was very excited when we got all of those guys and probably laments me saying, you know, Ari Wasserman's kind of go-to line that stars matter. Well, yeah. And that's true is that, you know, we need talented depth and those guys are really talented and, you know, it's a bummer that, you know, they're on their way out. But um, as far as actual production, you know, Bynum was probably the best guy uh, that left that I hadn't mentioned previously. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, but but we do have talent at receiver more so than we do at defensive line and linebacker. So I was a little bit less worried about that. Yeah. And it is a theme, the fact that there are so many guys who where we're lamenting the unfulfilled potential. And that theme has a lot to do with why we have a new coaching staff. So, you know, maybe yeah. things would look different for some of those guys, you know, particularly, you know, somebody like Redman, who is a pass catching tight end with good athleticism. It seems like that's something that we could have, you know, if he had been here with coaches with success developing players from the start in an offensive scheme that's proven to be successful maybe his career would have gone differently here but I don't know if that was a reclamation project that he wanted to undertake at this point or if he just kind of wanted to get somewhere where he could get on the field and and do what he can do right away um so, one other yeah. transfer kind of I, I just remembered while you were saying that was him going down to San Diego State with um, Cooper McDonald, right? Mm-hmm. He was another yeah. guy. He, he, he got uh, quite a bit of playing time this past year. Um, and he's also heading down to San Diego State, if I remember correctly. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, so, so it's kind of interesting that both of those guys are heading down there. But uh, yeah, anyways, you, you, you bring up good points that, you know, Redmond, you would think 
you know, looked at DeBoer's offense and was kind of like, oh yeah, they typically have a really productive pass catching tight end, um, maybe even better, more productive than the tight ends that we got drafted out of UW, you know? Mm, yeah, yeah. You know, like Disley at the Seahawks or... Well, that's, know, I mean, yeah. he's just his ability like his physical ability his pure athleticism and size i know will disley like worked his way into being an yeah. exceptional player but coming out of high school there's no comparison and so oh, yeah the fact that redmond stagnated at best and uh and disley turned into a like a perennial nfl starter is yeah. shocking like it's, it's just a very bad indictment not of the, either of them but of the changes in the coaching and where that ended up but that's that is uh, a story that has been told and told and told and told let's Quick shout uh, out also yeah. to super bowl bound tight andrew sample absolutely yeah another one who you know mark redmond as a high school senior probably looked like he had a better uh yep. football playing future than drew sample and i i saw i think uw has like the third or second or third most players in the super bowl of any uh any college which is really cool i mean it definitely totally there are guys to cheer for in this game it'll be very fun yeah um sure. yeah lots of so much great gains in the nfc title game he was all over the place <laughs> you, you have, you're playing on a defensive line with aaron donald you don't expect to jump out that much but he was all over the place it's very cool um let's get off of football for a minute and do our our plugs or our recommendations for the most entertaining non-football thing of the week coach you want to go first give us something to do other than watch um punter film from the fcs uh yeah i well i didn't have a great one teed up but i did see somewhere on twitter and kind of kind of doing a good job substituting for Davey on here is that i think softball season's coming up yeah i think at the end of this week so Maybe not a great plug for this week, but you know, hey, it's right there. You can go look up some great Cispate highlights or something and yeah. uh, get hyped for softball season. Or Gabby Plain. Like, it, it, I know Gabby was talking about this, I think, on Twitter and a little bit on our uh, t- telling us about it as well that they have a, a new middle infield combo replacing Cispates, uh, but it's two uh, first year players who are, I guess, like both of the best recruits at their positions in the country at second base and shortstop. So that's something to watch for right, right away. It should be, you know, it should go from strength to strength there. That's, that's pretty cool. I'm, I'm excited to, you know, get into it from the beginning. They are starting the season. You're right. February 10th, a week from today, as we record this, you know, where their first games are being played. You want to guess where they're hosting them? Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. Ooh. That sounds nice. They're playing five games in three days in Puerto Vallarta. That's a pretty good way to open the open the season. And they head from there to Florida and then to Southern California and then to Las Vegas. And then they come home to Seattle in mid-March. But that's good. Nobody wants to go to a, a, any outdoor sporting event really right now in Seattle anyway. So I'll take it. I am going to um, recommend – I don't know if this is really a recommendation. It's more of a – um, like patting myself on the back for, I finished reading this book. I mentioned on here months ago that I was diving into the rise and fall of the third Reich by Robert Shire. It's like an 1800 page long, uh, super, super detailed version of, uh, <laughs> of like the, from like Hitler's start of his political career to his death and the, you know, the, <laughs> everything that Nazi Germany did in the world. And it is, 
I mean, it's kind of like a like an epic story because you know how it ends and you know he's going to die and lose in the end. But then when it happens, like when the Allied invasion is successful and and his, uh, you know, offensive, his winter offensive in Russia backfires on him. Man, it's so gratifying. You get chills. Just so great when the Nazis lose. It's really fun to read. Uh, but I, I think I like took breaks and read like three or four other books while reading this one because it was so 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 long and detailed it was kind of maddening but i finished it last night and i'm very happy to be done with it so i can read something else there you go all right well thanks for joining us coach it was very fun to talk about transfers and uh recruits and the composition of our team for the next 12 to 48 months or what we're going to see on the field uh you know gaby and i've been working on getting cody pickett on the podcast we are the official podcast of the cody pickett fan club i don't know it hasn't worked yet but let us know if you have any tips but in the meantime thanks for listening and go dogs go dogs